Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our Advent series. In this series, we take a look at how the promises of God were completed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I need to start today's message by, we need to, we just need to make sure all of, all of us are on the same page. Everyone in this room, everyone watching online, we are people that are built on, on uh, that are filled constantly with anticipation. All of us. From the day um, that you're, and, and Christmas naturally has a sense of anticipation, right? If you have kids, this is especially true. If you don't, you, you, some, most of you, your kids may have already left the house, but right, you, you, it, it begins right at Thanksgiving. Now, some of you begin before Thanksgiving, celebrating Christmas. Who are my pre-Thanksgiving Christmas celebrators? One, okay. So how many of you wait till post-Christmas to celebrate? I mean, did you catch that? Some of y'all look grumpy. That's what I'm saying, all right? Some of y'all look like this is a funeral and you will only get honesty from this pulpit. Um, you put the tree up, right? And the, as soon as the tree goes up, the kids are building with anticipation. Christmas presents start trickling under the tree. Anticipation. A lot of us, it has been, 2020 has been a year for the books. Your pastor last week, we have one church van, okay? One church van, and it is very crucial. That church van goes out several times a week to minister, okay? Very crucial that it runs. So I take it to advance last week to get a battery because we think that's the problem. Come to find out, we put a brand new, really nice battery, gold battery in. I get in the van to head back to do other things. You ever had that happen? Put a brand new battery in, get nothing but clicking. Starter went out. So your pastor, this is just 2020, had to climb up under the church van last week and replace the starter in the advanced parking lot. Ain't that 2020? I say that because underneath that van, I began to think, man, I wish today was just over with. You ever had those days? Where you just, man, can we, let's just get to tomorrow, right? And sometimes even when you have good days, it's all about tomorrow. Man, tomorrow might be even better. So we are people of anticipation. Whether it's bad or good, we're always anticipating and waiting. And a long time ago, my, the pastor I interned under, he kind of delivered some, uh, some very wise words to me, and this is what he said. All frustration is birthed out of unmet expectations. And what I'd like to do today, every, every marriage you see that's on fire, every church you see in, in turmoil, every business you see 
it, it, having challenges with its people. It's birthed out of unmet expectations. All of us are full of anticipation and expectations. Some verbalized and some not. The whole Christmas season is built on expectations and anticipation. And what I want us to do today and next week is I'd like us to just drop an anchor amidst the waves that are the ending of this year. Tossing and turning and the wind and where anticipation will blow you all over the place. I want to drop an anchor that will help us guide and correct the anticipation we feel during the season. Because if we don't, the media, uh, uh, businesses, other sources will tell us what we should anticipate. Right? You see it. You see it on commercials. You see it on commercials all the time. Um, According to the media, many of you should be going to Jared anytime soon. You remember those commercials? You know, does it, anybody ever been to Jared? Anybody, let me take a poll. Anybody ever been to Jared? It's a jewelry store. All right. Hey, good job. All right. Every movie you watch, my favorite movie, it's a, it's a Wonderful Life. My wife hates that movie. Um, she likes Elf, and I like It's a Wonderful Life. But all of these movies have one thing in common. It involves at the very end, no matter what turmoil throughout the, the film, right? Christmas movies, Christmas time, this anticipation and expectation that everything's going to be all right. Isn't it? We're going to be by the fire and everything's just going to be okay. My family's going to stop being idiots. And my, my oh, that's not okay to say? Um, you're thinking it, okay? So everything's going to be fixed and made right. And here is what happens. Here's what happens most Often, you get to Christmas, this anticipation, this expectation that all longings are going to be satisfied. And when the tree comes down, the lights go off, we're left with this feeling. That was it. And all we are, literally the day after Christmas, I catch myself many times saying, Christmas is only 364 days away. It's because we have set our hopes and our minds and our hearts anticipating things that will not fulfill the longings of your soul. And look, I'm no bah humbug, okay? You ask my wife. I listen to Christmas music in July when I start getting sad, Okay? July, it's hot, I'm cutting grass. I listen to Christmas music to pick me up. Um, but the predominant message you will get in this culture, it will lie to you and tell you it's all gonna work out if you do this, this, and this, and none of it will work. So I wanna look back today and marvel, okay? Just 
at what should stir our hearts during this season. And next week, we're going to look to the future and kind of hopefully redeem some anticipation. Um, the very first question we have to ask when we, when we talk about this season and why everything doesn't seem to work out the way we want it to is this, what's broken? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why aren't things working the way they should? Um, now, a lot of us, a lot of culture will go like to, I don't know, let me pick, maybe Oprah, okay? They'll pick Oprah, and Oprah will, you know, you get a car, you get a car, oh, it's gonna fix everything. Um, and Oprah will give advice, and they'll, and they'll just say, oh, Oprah knows me, she knows my heart, okay? Okay, so before I preach this word today, I'm not gonna be Oprah. And some of you love Dr. Phil and the anger with which he just yells at folks and says, you know, you're an idiot. And you go, I am an idiot. Wow, this guy's great. But you'll come to church and hear a message from the word of God and you'll all of a sudden get offended and say, you shouldn't be buttoned into my life. This is the hypocrisy you see, Okay. You'll see the world just go around Oprah and, and just Dr. Phil will slap you across the face and just, it's wonderful, but then they'll come to church and they'll hear the truth of the word of God and rebel against it. You know why? Something's broken. Something is broken. And I'll tell you what is broken. You can go right to the beginning. The reason Christmas is important. The reason Advent is important and to the correct anticipation is important is because it is life-changing, what we're going to talk about today. Because something's broken and there is an answer to it. There's so many things in this life that you yourself will stare at and say, oh, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to fix my kids. I don't know how to fix my marriage. I don't know how to fix uh, my friends or my job or the money. I don't know how to fix it. There are things and longings in your heart that will be satisfied by what we talk about today. Sin, everybody say sin. Sin severed our relationship with the creator. Some of you remember this story from Genesis. We just um, came out of a series in Genesis in September. And the reason this is important is because sin broke all that God had designed, okay? And so everything then as a ripple effect at all of our systems, govern, governments, businesses that are people made are also broken. You realize this. But the good news, everybody say good news. The good news is that God had a plan from the very moment that sin destroyed to make it right. He had a plan already in place. If you go back to Genesis, somebody say, fix it, Jesus. If you go back to Genesis 3, you see it here. 
3.15. In theology, they call this the proto-evangelium, which is proto-first evangelium, good news, okay? So the first good news. This is what we consider in the church world as the very first prophecy of Jesus Christ. And it's here in Genesis at the beginning of the book. Chapter 3, verse 15 says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Watch it. He will strike your head or crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, again, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, listen. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All families on earth will be blessed through you. He's talking to Abraham here. So from the moment sin destroyed, God had a plan to crush the enemy. He had a plan to bless all families. And then if we go to Isaiah, you can flip back just a couple chapters, if you would like, uh, to seven. And I, I want you to listen to this, seven, 14 and 15. All right, then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Everybody say sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. Um, This, all of these verses point towards this one thing. God had a plan to fix everything that was broken. And it wasn't just a plan for Genesis and Isaiah. It's a plan for you. Hear me today. This plan is for you. It's so easy sometimes to read scripture and, and, and forget that you were on his mind that he knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. He had a plan. They didn't sin in the garden and God say, oh no, what do I do? Many of you respond that way. When life starts diverting and getting topsy-turvy and you look at 2020 or you're broke or whatever the case may be and you'll say, man, what's God doing? What's God gonna do now? I better pray. And make him aware. God is already aware of every affliction. This is important. He's aware of every affliction, every hurt. He has never not been with you. Right? Emmanuel, God with us. One thing we see here in Isaiah chapter 7 is that... um, Jesus was born to a virgin. This was the sign, okay? Um, Some folks, uh, some commentators will say that virgin just means young maiden. Um, Look, I've been in the birthing room, okay? I've been in the birthing room uh, where I stood next to my wife. Now, this last child, um, McKinley, when she came out, she kind of had orangish hair. So then... Like, I don't have orange hair. My wife doesn't have orange hair. And then all of a sudden, we were like, hey, we got problems. Um, And of course, my wife, (laughs) it it wasn't funny then either. Um, 
but I've been in the room. And look, they look at me as the dad, they look at her as the mom. Is it miraculous? Absolutely. Is there a biological explanation? Yes. Nobody is shocked, okay? That there, there wouldn't be any type of miraculous sign about a normal baby, but he would be born of a virgin. And he would be born into poverty, which is interesting because so many of us uh, tried to stay so far removed and there is a type of gospel, uh, a false gospel in America that to be Christian is to be blessed financially. And it's just false. I have been down on Jeff Davis Highway and prayed with folks who know the Lord, love him greatly, and have nothing. Talk to the missionary hidden in China or Africa who have nothing. Um, Jesus was born poor. Am I saying that to have money is sinful? No. However, um, Jesus would be the friend of sinners. He would be the friend of everyone, no matter where you come from, what side of the tracks, how much money you have in the bank account, he came for you. Poke yourself in the chest, okay? Born in Bethlehem, um, raised in Nazareth. You know, he didn't grow up in Bethlehem, he grew up in Nazareth. You know how big Nazareth was? Anybody? Trivia time. 200, 200 people. I thought surely in Virginia I could find a town of 200 people. Smallest town in the whole state, Highland County up in the mountains, 2,800 people. Very small town, very poor town. And so now I want to go to the text for today, and it'll be quick, I promise. Isaiah 9, and we'll read together. Hey, listen, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, we want you to take that. That's our gift to you. Uh, you can have that. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun, and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, you'll recognize this next couple verses. For a child is born to us, 
a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies. If you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline this. We'll make this happen. The imagery in this text is interesting, and I'll tell you why. Um, You're reading a Christmas text, uh, uh, a prophecy of the coming Messiah, okay? And uh, it's riddled with warriors and bloodstained and war. And to understand this, you kind of have to go back up a little bit. In verse 1, it mentions that there will be a time in the future when Galilee, if this doesn't mean anything to you, Galilee is the primary place Jesus did his ministry. The primary place he did his ministry. Now here's something you need to know about Galilee. Galilee is in the northern area of Israel. And any time Israel would be invaded, it would always be invaded from the north. Uh, Just because of the terrain and the mountains and the sea, armies would march in from the north and always in pursuit of conquering Jerusalem, they would go through Galilee. And so Galilee would be bloodstained and riddled with violence and war every time someone would try and overtake Jerusalem. This is what it was like in Galilee. And not only that, but they would go, they would lose the battle south of there, and then they would pillage and and destroy all the way back out, and Galilee would catch it all over again. Now listen to what he says to these At the beginning of verse one, it says, nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Can you imagine living in Galilee? Can you imagine living where all this war, all this unrest is constantly going on? Has your life ever felt that way? Hear hear this pastor today. Has your your life ever felt like the, the madness won't stop? I'm not talking about a bad day. I'm talking about a bad month, a bad year, and for the Galileans, bad centuries. And here they get a word. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. It's so interesting. Jesus would choose Galilee as as great. Ground zero for the light of the world. You know what this tells me? God is not afraid of your dark places. Hey, wake up, hear me. The places no one knows about, the places you don't even talk to your wife or your husband about, the things you don't talk to your friends about, the sinfulness you hide in your heart and think no one can see He sees it and he will stand right in the midst of it and shine his light. And it will flee. This is the hope. 
This is the promise that he's given. A savior. He would come to make things right. How would he do this? How's he gonna make it all right? If you want, you can flip over to uh, Isaiah 53. You'll recognize this as well. I'll read it quickly. Verse one, who, this is how he's gonna do it. Listen, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. They're talking about the Savior. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. You ever felt like that? Ever felt rejected like nobody cared? Jesus has too. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced. Don't tune me out and don't you go to sleep. I want you to hear this. But he was pierced for your rebellion. Crushed for your sins. He was beaten so that you could be whole. He was whipped so that you could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. You remember anticipations and and how they can flutter? Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's tomb. All of this prophecy, all of these things would come to pass. But it was the Lord's, hey, underline this in your Bible. Verse 10, chapter 53. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. That's you. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear, underline, all their sin. All of it. This is a major doctrine for us, that he died once for all. I will give him the honors 
of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. How will he crush the head of the enemy? How will he bless all families? How will he destroy oppression and shame and iniquity? Slavery to sin. Says it right here in 53. The God of all creation would put on flesh, walk and bear our griefs, pay for our iniquity, make atonement for our rebellion. And don't miss this, an account to you and I a righteousness that we could not obtain on our own. Some of you are so busy trying to be right and be righteous and make it all work that you're leaning and anticipating on someone who will fail. There's a longing inside you. There's a longing, there's a deep desire that you feel that things are broken, things aren't right, and you keep trying to fix it yourself and account for some type of build your own righteousness when all he is asking of you is to believe on him and he will account to you a righteousness you could never earn. Stop trying to earn something that was already won on the cross. Let me go to Micah 5, 2 and read just a couple other pointers towards a Savior here. Micah 5, 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past, or in some versions, ancient of days. You want to do a really cool study? Do a study on the term ancient of days, a God that is timeless. You realize this? God was before there ever was time. He is not defined by time. So when you think he's late, he's on time. You you see what I'm saying? He exists above and outside of time. All of us are determined by time. We we use time for everything. How you been doing? Well, it's been a tough week time. We're all defined by it. He is not. Matthew chapter 1, 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. And I think often we'll roll past this next phrase with some type of understanding and then live our lives completely different. But it says, you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Something's broken. And the promise given to you is a Savior. The promise to you is a Savior. One who understands. One who sees. 
and one who can fix what is broken. One who will satisfy every longing. That longing that money only fixes for a little while, that longing that a boyfriend or girlfriend only fixes for a little while. And let me tell you something, a longing that your husband and wife can't fix or your kids in sports won't fix and church attendance won't fix. Jesus Christ fixes every longing. You remember the song, hallelujah, I have found him who my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. Through his blood I now am saved. You remember that song? Hallelujah, I have found it. God fulfilled his promise for a Savior in Jesus Christ. Which is important. He, he is our only hope. Jesus Christ is our only hope. Let's not roll past it. You know why? Because you often will make yourself your only hope. You, you your default is not to make him Lord. Your default is not to make him your hope. Your default is make yourself God. And you will live to your own inhibitions and your own desires and your own flesh. And it will always lead you astray. And it will never satisfy what is broken. We are powerless to fulfill these promises ourselves. We're powerless to crush the enemy. I don't care how much you crossfit. I considered going to a crossfit gym once. I never made it. I don't care how bad you think you are. You try to go against the devil in your own strength, you will get whooped. That's why some of you try and white knuckle your sin and hide it from everybody because you think you can control that pornography addiction. You think you can control that pride and anger you've got. Yeah, you are powerless without the cross. You are powerless without the Savior. That spending habit you got, powerless to conquer it. Now, we don't want to go there, do we? Let me try and keep my job. Bless all the families on earth. We're powerless to bless all the families. Let's just talk about how can you bless your own family. Do you even do that successfully? Successfully? Listen, my desire is always to bless my kids. You can ask my wife. My five-year-old comes to me every night. Daddy, will you take me to bed? No, baby, I'm not going to take you to bed. Okay, I'll take you to bed. Let's go to bed. And I lay with her, and most recently, she wants me to ask her lots of questions. And so mo most of the time, I've, I've had her up here and asked, you know, I try and focus them around the Lord, and she gets really bored with those because she wants me to ask her about her. A little sinful heart of hers is already rearing its head. Okay? Pray for her. I try to lay my yes down to my wife, my kids. I try and lay, I want to bless them so that my no's matter. So when I say no, it actually means something. I, so I lay my yes down. 
But no matter how often I lay my yes down, it never transforms my kids' hearts. I'll get Macy a piece of candy, sometimes lots of candy. And then she'll do something to not deserve candy, okay? And so I'll say, you can't have any more candy. And she will look at me indignant and be like, that's my candy, okay? No matter how much we want to try and bless our families, we will never be able to. We can barely bless our own families, much less the families of the entire world. And even our greatest efforts will never transform. Eradicate destruction, oppression, and violence. We're powerless to do that. Think back as far as World War II. We, we no sooner got out of World War II, we were in the Cold War and then Korea, then Vietnam, the Middle East, Taliban. We're going all over trying to make it all right, trying to fix everything. Incapable. Incapable. And if I'm transparent with you this morning, we can't even get our own country right. We are powerless. We will not, with any amount of might or knowledge, be able to achieve peace on earth. You know what we need? A Savior. I need Him. We sang it this morning Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Some of y'all, life is so good right now, you have grown independent and cold in your relationship with the Lord. And there's going, to come, there's going to come a time where you're going to need him. And my prayer is that even in the good times, you would draw near so that when the bad times come, and they will, you're there in his presence. And not wondering where he's gone. You know God hasn't moved. You did. We are unable to satisfy our longings. We need a Savior. And I say this from time to time. There is no one, hear me, there is no one in this room that has lied to you, deceived you, and betrayed you more than you have. There is no one who has lied to you, deceived you, or betrayed you more than you have. You make a terrible God. And that needs to be very clear before you leave this place. Why? Because you, my, all I'm trying to do this morning is point to the Savior. Point to Jesus. Because if you leave here and you say, man, I'm so excited about Christmas. Let's open some gifts and have some ham. And you miss the fact that there was a promise given because something was broken and he knew you would be broken. And so he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on a cross for your sin, to fix the brokenness in you. You need Jesus. I slapped this pulpit and I thought of uh, uh, my grandpa. He was Baptist. He was Southern Baptist. Grew up, he grew up in a reservation church. Uh, I've, I've been talking too much. I'm about to close. Y'all can go ahead and come on up. 
South uh, Samaria Baptist Church, little Southern Baptist Church out in the middle of nowhere. It was once a native school, and he grew up Baptist, and then for a little while he uh, he left the Baptist world and and. and I don't think he ever danced in Pentecostal circles, but he could have if he wanted to, because that's what they do there. They dance and they scream, shout. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I grew up in. And then he came back, and, and he came. Let me tell you something. Uh, he always got excited about Jesus. You couldn't talk to him. He wasn't excited about it. And I often think, man, I wish my life reflected a constant need for the Lord more. And I wasn't so dependent on myself. You make a terrible God. And so this is where I want us to drop our anchor. As we build anticipation for Christmas Day, yeah, have fun, open gifts, eat with your family. Some Christmas for some is real awkward because maybe things aren't great with the family right now. But I want us to drop an anchor amongst everything going on and look back at what God has fulfilled in the promise to redeem us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we don't have our hearts tuned. Why does this matter today? If our hearts aren't tuned towards a God who fulfills his promises. And we don't tune our hearts to the fact that he is coming again, not as a baby, but as a king. If we don't let all this sink down in our hearts, what you will do is live silly, frivolous lives. Chasing things that will never amount. Chasing things that will never satisfy. We need to look back and marvel at the fulfilled promise and tune our hearts to the hope that you have today. Today, not tomorrow, today. So that we live our lives with an urgency, mission, and anticipation that will have others around us saying, man, I want something. I I want whatever you've got. I want that. And that's what you can find in Jesus. As the worship team worships this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know the Lord, I want to pray this prayer with you. Whether you're here or you're online, He sees you, He knows what's broken, He knows the fix. And that fix is Jesus and a surrendered life to Him. So if you do If you have not chosen the Lord, if you have not chosen Jesus as the Lord of your life, I want you to pray this prayer with me in the room or online. 
Father, I am a sinner. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. That this promised Savior was for me. I confess my sins to you. And I accept you as my Savior and Lord. Help me to follow you and obey you. Turn my heart towards you. Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.